Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. John chapter 9, verse 3. The hardest part I remember being was that, you know, they put me in this, this brace and made it really clear, like, you can't move your arm for eight or nine months or whatever. Like, it's absolutely essential that you're always in this thing. And within a week of getting out of the hospital, the brace completely broke. And then I'm calling him and trying to get a hold of him and saying, hey, look at this thing broke. I, I need a new one. And they're not returning my calls. And after a couple, about a week of that, they just basically abandoned me. He had an interesting phrase. Joe was lost to follow up. There's a, a definition out there of what that means. It means, yeah. you know, you, you stop getting care because you're disabled or you pass away or yeah. your insurance switches. And in Joe's case, he was, in a way, lost to follow-up, and, and I didn't know what happened to him other than we were treating this, and then we never got to saw it through to fruition. Do you think there was negligence? Or do you think that it was negligence on Joe's part? Or do you think it was negligence from the doctor? We were treating the infection, and then whether, and this is the problem going back to the HMO, did he change insurances? And if things changed, I don't see him anymore. And, and with Joe, that's what happened. I didn't, I didn't end up seeing him. Did his insurance change? Yeah, as we try to, as, if I recall, if it's something that somebody like that, we're like, what's going on? And, and again, I don't have my records. I was really trying to get to the heart of if yeah. your insurance did switch at that time. Yeah, you I know. don't remember that being the case. I think what happened was they so this hey, this probably isn't gonna work and just kinda wanted to distance themselves, you know, from any type of uh, you know, liability or, or whatnot. And now we've come full circle. So we were requesting the medical records for this project and I called up Doctor office and and they had somehow lost the records they didn't have them only god knows how thorough my investigation would have been had dr x's office just given big joe his records maybe i would have just skimmed through the hundreds of pages of complicated medical concepts and confusing jargon and moved on instead after nine surgeries they told big joe they'd lost his records so now i had to find out and not just for my own edification. I think it would be good. I think it might, that would even give closure too for us, you know, to understand it because that ambiguity kind of just like leaves it out there. Like, and not that it would change anything, but it's just kind of more fully understanding the negligence. By the time I understood what Big Joe had been through, by the time I had turned the last page of the records and spoken to enough experts, I was the one standing there in the dark at the bottom of the pit, surrounded by and filled with all the abandoned emotions that Big Joe had deserted there years before. That's a thing that I kind of wrestle with too. And where does the, the divine sovereignty and the human responsibility, where do they meet, you know? And, and how do those work out in life? I'm associate producer Morris Chestnut. Welcome to episode five of GFC Productions presentation of Jesus and Big Joe.
I went to push myself up and my arm popped out the back and it was just dangling there. And I couldn't pop it back in. It was just, I knew it was really bad. This time around with Big Joe's shoulder would be different. He was no longer a world-class football player, no longer a prized recruit, and his insurance network had a reputation for being restrictive. The first two surgeons that saw Big Joe didn't want to touch him. They felt underqualified. One gave Big Joe a shot in his shoulder to reduce the inflammation. He was also prescribed a painkiller called Lortab. The active ingredient in Lortab is hydrocodone. Hydrocodone, like heroin, is derived from the opium poppy. The third surgeon Big Joe was referred to was Dr. X, a surgeon who possessed the confidence the first two had lacked. Us, uh, as orthopedists, we're, we're, we're mechanics. That's what we're connected. There was one how we're all connected. We really are truly a machine, God. You know, now we're measuring, we're bending. We actually have benders where just like bending rebar. And as I kind of alluded to, like a Home Depot screw. We have whole trays of things. He ended up uh, through an HMO, was referred to my office. It took, you know, a month or two to come up with a plan on what to do with it because it was so just messed up. Big Joe was in severe pain as they charted the course, and the levy holding back a deluge of opiates began to give way. He was prescribed 60 Percocet. A week later, another 75. Oxycodone, not hydrocodone, is the active ingredient in Percocet. Oxycodone is another synthetic opiate, only molecularly, this one is virtually identical to heroin. I never saw any evidence of Big Joe's insurance company quacking about the cost of the pills. However, when Dr. X prescribed a cold therapy unit to reduce inflammation and pain, coverage was denied. It wasn't the typical case. You know, what I really needed was a shoulder replacement, but I was too big for that. They said my arm was so massive and it weighed so much that it would just tear the replacement out. So we tried this, uh, what's called a glenoid osteotomy, where they move the bones around in my, in my shoulder to try to block it from popping out the back. And so they did that surgery, and then I was in a sling. I wasn't able to move my arm at all. And I went to the doctor. They took it out of the sling, and he lifted my arm up, and it popped right out the back. What, what did he say when it popped out? He said, that's not good. That's where his exact words. And then uh, we just kind of said, yeah, wow, we'll have to figure out and look at it and see what to do next. Constant, sharp, electrical, knife-like, deep, and stabbing. Those were the words Joe used to describe his pain after the procedure. And it was then that the levy would break. Joe was given two more prescription opiates, Opana ER and fentanyl. The active ingredient in Opana ER is oxymorphone, synthetic morphine. When it comes to fentanyl, the DEA explains it is 50 times more potent than heroin. It is currently responsible for more overdose deaths than any other drug in the United States. Joe was in severe pain. His shoulder was still dislocating, 
and he was now on a slew of the most powerful legal opiates ever invented. But his medical records listed his condition as improving. Whatever path they would take from there, Big Joe made his desire clear. He wanted the next surgery to be his last. He wishes to undergo one and only one surgery for the shoulder, not multiple, the record says. Joe got to that point where he said that he was kind of tired. Took a few months, you know, looking at options and trying to figure out a plan of attack on how to fix it. And uh, we came up with uh, the best thing that we could do was was defuse my shoulder. So they were going to take, you know, four of these like giant four or five inch screws and, and put it in my shoulder and make it where I couldn't move my shoulder. And at least it wouldn't be popping out. It would be stable and hopefully the pain would go down. Our deltoid sits over the round contour of the shoulder. Dr. X explained how surgeons avoid damaging it when doing a fusion. We've taken off the muscles we call the deltoid. We take that, mu- that deltoid muscle off. So all the muscles, like the deltoid, they're kind of out of the way while you're you know, installing the things that need to be in there. Correct. The bottom line is this. Surgeons take great care not to damage the deltoid during a fusion. This is a much bigger procedure than those tightening procedures. It's a bigger incision, it's a longer operation, and there's a foreign material put in them. So this is why there's a greater risk of infection. And so we did that surgery. It was probably three or four years before I actually had my arm amputated. So I had just came home from the doctors and and I'm in my room and, and then I just see this it's it's hard to explain. You know, the, this this vision and and God was just showing me in my bone that I had this infection. Looking back it's kinda of weird. I don't understand exactly how he showed me that. I mean he just showed me my arm and and I knew at that moment that there was an infection in it. You know, and then he showed me them a series of surgeries me going on through. And then he showed me the, the doctors actually cutting my arm off. I was laying there in the operating room and they had the little saw going and cutting my arm off. And then he showed me all this good that was going to come out of it. And I was like blown away. I'd never seen anything like this before. I went and pulled out a computer and started looking up these bone infections and it, and it fit perfect. All of the symptoms. And so I call my doctor and I'm like, hey, doc, I, I got an infection in my bone. And he's like, no, no, you don't. I just saw you three hours ago. And then the next day, I, I call him again. I'm like, hey, doc, I got an infection in my bone. He's like, no, you don't. Don't worry about it. And then Wednesday, I'm like convinced I got this infection. And so I call him. I'm like, dude, I, I really, really think that my, my arm is infected. There's something really wrong. And, and, and he's like, dude, it's not infected. But just so you'll leave me alone, I'll call you in some antibiotics. So I took those for a week, and then I went and saw him the next Wednesday. And now it was like getting a little puffy and red, and I'm really not feeling good at all. And I go see him, and and he sticks the syringe in there, and he pulls out 30-something cc's of pus. And he's like, yeah, it's infected. I just wanted to know when he... Do you remember those calls or what he was telling you at that time? I I don't don't have any, any recall of that. The infection is called osteomyelitis. 
and it wouldn't be diagnosed until four months after the fusion was done. Osteomyelitis, I mean, you're talking six weeks at least of IV antibiotics. It's, it's a hard, rigorous treatment. Because uh, what they put in, the PIC line, it, it's basically just like a long-term IV. For infections like Big Joe's, doctors don't use pills to fight it. They use a PIC line to make sure the antibiotic gets straight into the bloodstream. So it was supposed to be they'd put it in and I would do a six-week course of antibiotics and then wait another six weeks. And then if the infection didn't come back, they would redo the surgery. But it just, that never happened, you know. So I ended up having them for, instead of six weeks, like a couple of years, you know. Aside from the antibiotics, there's another generally accepted way to get rid of Big Joe's infection. We know that the best way to treat those infections is to cut them out. So IND is an attempt to surgically remove the infection. It's basically cutting things out and washing it out. Dr. X's first two INDs wouldn't get the job done. And before the third, it was discovered that Big Joe's pick line was having problems. It is possible he has not had ample antibiotics to treat the condition, Dr. X reported. On a scale of 1 to 10, I asked Dr. X to rank how important the antibiotics were to curing Joe. Well, it's, it's a 10. It's a 10. If you get an infection and it gets, it gets into the bone, the bacteria get into the bone, it makes it much more difficult to treat than if it's outside the bone. In Joe's case, it was inside the bone. It was very bad. And then they started doing the surgeries to try to correct the infection, and that's where it kind of got out of control. Well, I mean, you know, in the main, I mean, the more surgeries people have on the same, on the same anatomic site, the more difficult it becomes, the more draining it becomes, the more depressing it becomes. Over about seven months, Dr. X would perform six INDs on Joe's shoulder. And so I had the surgeries. Basically, I'm stuck sitting at home, stuck to an IV drip machine all day and in pain and not sleeping and, and really just felt completely alone. Because all my, the people that were my friends, they're still doing the things that they were doing before. They're still going to the bars and that they're not the type of people that are going to come and, and sit there and suffer with you while you're suffering and, and try to comfort you. And, and so the first about year, year and a half of these surgeries was, was extremely difficult. But there in the darkness, trying to comfort him as only a true friend could, was Big Joe's cellmate. Lexi basically saved his life because she was with him side by his side, even though he she was a little... Uh, Chihuahua dog, that dog stayed by Joe day in, day out when he was sick. During the surgical onslaught, Big Joe was prescribed yet another pill for his pain. The pill was another opiate using oxycodone as its active ingredient. Its name was Oxycontin. Oxycontin helped kick off a 20-year opioid epidemic in the United States that killed about half a million people. He was doing a lot of pharmaceuticals during that time, when he was having those surgeries. <sighs> Mads, pharmaceuticals, oxycodone, all of it, a lot. And he was, 
He was quite compulsive, quite the drug addict. He was running out of his pharmaceuticals all the time. Patients like this, their whole life gets focused on the shoulder. And they spend most of their time in and out of the hospital, recuperating from surgery, getting antibiotic treatment, being strung out on drugs, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. He was a guy that was really down on his luck on drugs and everything, but I mean, you looked at his history and it, you know, wouldn't be a lot of people that were not or would not be in a similar situation. And uh, we kind of felt sorry for the guy because he was, he was suffering quite a bit. Do you feel like there was a time when Joe really hit bottom? Before he lost his arm, when he was on the IVs and he had to stay in his room all day, like he is so sick and weak, and he would get two IVs a day. And the, you know, while we were at work, the nurse would come and hook him up. When we come home from work, we would hook him up to the IV and you have to sit there for, I forget how long it was, but a long time on the IV. And I have pictures of it where I look back and I just kind of like, oh, wow, like, who are you in that picture? Because you look, you look so sad and so uh, broken. I didn't understand why. I didn't know a whole lot about God. It was just, um, I really wanted to die. You know, every month when I got my painkillers, I'd sit there and I'd look at them and, and, and think about just swallowing them all. I would drive to work and cry for many years and pray for my son on the way to work. And I would see homeless people. I would see people who were without limbs. I would see people who were sick. And I would cry because I could see my son in them, lost, lonely, sad, not belonging. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not, this is like where my son is, like in his heart, that's where he is. Brenda watched as her son descended into the depths of the abyss. Now you, like me, know what it looks like here. But even there, in the void, during the pain and through the darkness, God continued to weave the tumbling blocks of Big Joe's faith. I found an old Bible that I had, and I just started to kind of flip through it. And it like dawned on me back then, like this book isn't what everybody told me it was. Like I always was told that it's kind of old and outdated and not for our time. But as I flipped through it, I was like, this is perfectly describing like what I'm seeing in the world around me right now. At this point, I called myself a Christian, but I would say I was probably not a real Christian. I'll never forget it. I was reading the book of Isaiah and it just, I'm like, man, this means something. But I remember from that day, the very next day forward, I was in that Bible every day, three times a day. God gave me this passion to really know what his word said. And, you know, the study just started to uh, steadily grow over time. And then people started getting baptized at the house. We've been doing this roughly about 10 years, and we've seen, I'd say, anywhere from 26 to 28 people get baptized at the house and the spa. Like, I didn't even think Steve was his friend, to tell you frankly. Like, I mean, I thought he was friend at school, but then they kind of like didn't really didn't hang out, like, you know, go out together, or come over to the house or anything. But then Joe got sick and he's like, he was his best friend and he was calling him, asking him if he's okay and praying for him and asking him to come to Bible study and, and that is exactly what Joe needed. 
about a year and a half into it, I, I actually went to a Bible study at your brother Steve's house. And, and I go there and, and it was just, it was amazing. There was people there that actually cared about me and what I was going through. And, and I experienced that, that, that real love for the first time. But I went there and it was exactly what I needed because I had felt all alone, abandoned. And, and now there was people there that sympathized with me, that cared about what I was going through, that cared about me. And that was exactly what I needed at that moment. And so I, I kept coming back. And after a few months of it, I, I really started falling in love with the Word of God. And now instead of just sitting there watching TV all day, all night, I started reading the Bible and, and praying. So I am obedient to what God asked me to do. He's put it on my heart to do this Bible study and put it on my heart for people like Joe. Like I said, I knew right away God had put Joe on my heart. So I was obedient to that. It was just amazing to see God's Word work in his life. Because I'm a staunch believer that when you read the Word of God, it will change you. And it did change Joe. You know, in Hebrews it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to dividing the soul and the spirit. And you see that with people like Joe. It would be during this time that those slivers of light would shine upon and reveal the purpose that had accompanied Big Joe in the darkness all along. That was kind of the turning point for me. You know, instead of looking for things to complain about, instead of being angry and all that, I, I, I started seeing that, that God had a purpose for this, that God was using my circumstances to make me more like Jesus, that he was working in my life, you know? I think there was one point where it was so hard, I, I started just writing down anything I could find that, that I could see where God was working in my life or that I could give thanks for. And, and I started doing that and I started just seeing how much God was working. Yeah, it was just amazing. He totally started changing. I told you, you started reading the Bible and then he just kept reading it. And then you started seeing big changes. Like I say they're big, they're really big. He started giving back. He started becoming softer. He started being more gentle. He started being more grateful. Mentally, I had seen like a huge change in Joe. He really got it and he wanted that change in his life. He wanted to follow Christ. It changed his life. I mean, that was like life changing. He got baptized in the back of Steve's yard. And there's some verses I read typically when I do baptisms, one of them being Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, verse 25 to 27. This is a prophecy before Jesus came, but he talked about the new covenant we would be under and that he would sprinkle clean water on them and clean them from all their sins and give them a new heart and put his spirit in them and cause them to be able to walk in his ways. So those are all things God does. And baptism is a symbol of that, of God washing away your sins giving you a brand new heart and putting his Holy Spirit within you and causing you to be able to walk in his ways. I think Jesus actually allowed him not to have anger and remove the pain from the, I don't know if it was pain from the, I mean, it may have been pain from the soreness, but I think it was pain from the anger as well and the being lost. Led me to the 
how do you think he handles it, you know, having that dream of being in the NFL and it being a realistic thing? That question gets into what would you trade for your salvation? And me and Joe have had that conversation before that if what happened to him didn't happen to him, that he wouldn't be a Christian. He may be in the NFL. He may be a multimillionaire, but he would be on the road to hell. I do see that Joe really has an appreciation, a true appreciation, which is amazing for losing his arm and the things he's gone through and the fact that it's given him faith in Christ and brought him to salvation. And I do believe that he's actually thankful for the things that happened to him. As crazy as that probably sounds to some people. I would ask Joe, would you like to have your arm back and trade to be back where you are? And he'll tell you, no, he does not want to have his arm back and be back where he was before he lost his arm. He is much happier to be with Jesus than to have an arm. And I think like, wow, give me some of that. I want to have that in my heart, you know, because that is a lot of faith. If you had gotten everything you wanted at 21, where would you be today? In a grave, either that or in a prison. Purpose within the suffering. Next week on episode six of GFC Productions presentation of Jesus and Big Joe. Jesus gave his whole life so that I could be saved to give up a just a limb so that somebody else could be saved would be well worth it in the long run of eternity. We didn't paint a rosy picture though. I had some reservations from day one about being able to save his arm. You know, it's all, it's very weird when you look back at how things happened and how you didn't think that that was good and you thought it was bad when it was happening. And then now you look at it with completely different eyes. It's crazy to, to think about the power of God and his ability to change lives. Now, the world doesn't really have an answer for that other than Jesus must be real. Jesus and Big Joe is brought to you by GFC Productions. For updates, behind-the-scenes content, and special offers, follow GFC Productions on Facebook and Instagram at at Jesus and Big Joe and on Twitter at at Jesus and Big Joe. I'm Morris Chestnut, the associate producer. The producer and writer is Kyle Hogan. Be sure to subscribe to Jesus and Big Joe on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Become eligible for giveaways of exclusive merchandise like gear signed by me, associate producer Morris Chestnut, by leaving a review of Jesus and Big Joe on one of the podcast platforms and emailing a screenshot of it to gfcpromotions at protonmail.com. Only reviews left within three weeks of the original launch date are eligible. The score for Jesus and Big Joe is performed by Aaron Hill. All I Have is Christ, originally written by Jordan Coughlin. Copyright 2008. Sovereign Grace Praise BMI. Sovereign Grace Music is a division of Sovereign Grace Churches. All rights reserved. The song was used by permission. 
administrated worldwide at www.capitalcmgpublishing.com. Excluding the UK, which is administrated by Integrity Music, part of the David C. Cook family. You can visit Sovereign Grace Music at www.sovereigngracemusic.com. Audio editing, mixing, and mastering was done by Resonate Recordings. Visit GFC Productions' website at www.gfclife.com and subscribe to their email list for updates, information, discounts, deals, and more. A special thank you to Calvary Chapel, Sovereign Grace Music, the McGuire family, and everyone who made it possible to tell the story of Jesus and Big Joe.